Our dedication is just working towards improving it all the time and trying to create a circle of trust. We need to move beyond a mentality of extraction and destruction as a form of gaining wealth and as a form of making businesses even function. I think I've either frustrated or surprised a lot of investors along the way when I've been asked the question, are you out for profit or are you out to do something good? And I answer the question, yes. Welcome to the Beyond Capital Podcast. In our purpose-driven world, leadership is increasingly crucial. We are bringing you the stories of leaders that are marrying profit with purpose. I'm Eva Yazari, CEO of Beyond Capital. And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Preciate. Together, Eva and I have built and invested in businesses worth millions. We want to show you how social impact can exist in a company's operations, product, and culture, sometimes unexpectedly. We hope you walk away knowing the possibilities of impact for you and feeling inspired by the potential to do good. This is the Beyond Capital Podcast. Today's guest is Caroline Duell. Caroline is the founder and CEO of All Good, a company that makes organic and environmentally friendly body care products, including skincare, sunscreen, and deodorant. Welcome, Caroline. So great to have you. Thank you very much. I want to get started at the beginning. Before you started All Good, you were an injury rehabilitation specialist and you were a rock climbing instructor for 11 years. You also have a number of other areas where you turned a junkyard and turned into a community garden in your career. And I would just love to understand what sparked your interest in being close to nature and health as a theme for where you were going next. Wow. Thank you for that question. It's... Um it goes kind of back to the beginning for me. I've always felt most connected to myself when I have been in places in, in just immersed in nature. At a young age, my parents made sure that we spent a lot of time outside and then moving forward through my life. I've always had a connection to being in the wilderness. You know, there's something that's just inherent about finding health in oneself when you're in the outdoors for a lot of reasons, whether it's self-reliance or just understanding the that connectivity there. It's really just kind of been embedded in me all along. Was rock climbing first and then injury rehabilitation second? <laughs> <laughs> that, that might that might seem like the logical uh, direction, right? Let's see. I it was a bit of a parallel actually. So I graduated college with a degree in holistic healing, and I bridged the natural world of botanical medicine with emergency medicine. And my goal at that point was to become a wilderness guide. In my experience of studying emergency medicine to become a sufficient wilderness guide, I tripped into working on an ambulance and ended up really realizing how modern medicine is so fantastic at fixing things, but not really as adept at being a part of the healing process that the body needs. Through that, I started studying botanical medicine and herbs. And then that was actually where it led me into getting into massage therapy and injury rehabilitation. And then it was just a parallel track as a, as a wilderness guide and rock climbing instructor. I actually, when this business sort of started incubating, I had three jobs at the time. One was teaching rock climbing. One was doing massage therapy and injury rehab. And the other one was farming. So it was sort of this triad of, of activities that ended up turning me into uh, running this business. And you founded All Good in 2006. 
which is 15 years ago. Incredible. And, you know, you mentioned kind of the early influences that helped shape your business and the thinking, but what motivated you to pursue the entrepreneurial path and grow your company? You know, truly, I went into it kicking and screaming. I was not bound for business. I did not. I always felt like I related much better to living systems like human bodies in the natural world than financial institutions. So I tried to steer clear of it. And I also sort of was a bit of a, I don't know how to say reluctant or just rebellious in a way, thinking that business was was really a causer of the problems rather than a potential solution in the way that I saw it. So what finally turned this experience and turned me into a business owner was that I had made a healing salve off of a farm that I had been living on with my boyfriend at the time, now husband, and sold it at farmer's markets and gave it to climbing clients and massage clients. And people just absolutely loved it. It, This was in the late nineties. I immediately called it all good goop, all good because of a lot of reasons, mostly because of uh, California culture kind of interested me how everything's all good all the time. And goop was just simply the consistency of the of the salve and it's good for like literally everything on the skin it's so good i made that gave it away sold it at farmers markets and then that's where we go into the story of uh turning a junkyard into a garden we my husband and i bought a farm in san luis obispo county in 2003 and we had been living in west marin before that way up north north of northwest of san francisco and i had really just let go of the salve making and not even kind of considered to continue it because I had focused on that we had bought this Hells Angel hideout and we're removing tons of scrap metal and working on turning it into a permaculture site. And people started calling me from up north and and saying, like, you can't just stop making all good goop. I use it on my daughter's eczema every day. Like I need it. And so with that inspiration, I rented a commercial kitchen down here and you still was able to take the herbs from the garden I had started up north and and make the salve. And then I went to a friend of ours health food store up in Marin where we used to sell produce from the farm. And I said, so can I just leave this here? And then people can come pick it up because um, everybody's requesting it and it's getting expensive shipping it. And I'm, you know, can I just use you kind of as a depot? And he literally grabbed me by the shoulders and shook me. And he said, do you not understand what's going on here? You are turning this into a business. It's happening. I am a store. I'm a retail store. You sell to me and your customers buy from me. That's how it works. Now get on with it. With all my reluctance and actually growing a business, that was a, that was literally the moment where I said, okay, I think I can do this. I think this can actually be something that can serve people and I can do it in a way where I can really stay grounded in my personal values as we grow this. And so I made that commitment on that day. So what was the biggest surprise for you when you started a business? Realizing how much goes into it. I mean, I had been completely on my own doing it as one person. My husband uh, definitely was a, was a big support, but you know, ultimately it came back down to me and we would go on the road and I'd literally have a printer in the back of the car to print invoices and bring jars into stores. But very quickly, I, I, I realized that it, it wasn't going to be sustainable to do it all by myself. So That was probably the biggest surprise. And tell us a little bit more about the current product range and what it has expanded to include now at All Good. So we started with the salve, All Good Goop, right? That's our that's our golden child, and continues to be a product that we that we make by hand, hand poured here in San Luis Obispo County. And then from there, we expanded into lip balms. It's a very natural uh, progression from a salve into something that actually fits in your pocket and works well on a ski slope. And then we made a sore muscle ointment. My husband has a chronic pain in his neck from a surfing injury when he was in a teenager. 
and we were looking for an Advil replacement. So I made a pain reliever for him, a spray. It's called Herbal Freeze. And then we have a line of moisturizers, the coconut oils and body lotions, a whole line of mineral sunscreens. They're all zinc-based, zinc oxide, non-nano zinc oxide-based sunscreens, deodorants. Our newest line of products is uh, lip and cheek tints, which are natural colored SPF lip and cheek tints or sunscreen. Yeah, I mean, it's just an, it's a really incredible expansion. And I would love to dig into a little bit more about what the social or environmental impact looks like at all Goop. Are you sourcing organically? Is it in the team culture? Is it, you know, how you the, the offering that you're providing to your customers? What does it look like for you? Well, it's literally and figuratively embedded into the DNA of our company, our brand, and our culture. So understanding those beginnings, that my reluctance in business was that, you know, there would be a sort of net bad that would come out of it. I set out to really dispel that myth. And I think I've either frustrated or surprised a lot of investors along the way when I've been asked the question, are you out for profit or are you out to do something good? And I answer the question, yes. You know, sometimes they walk out of the room and sometimes they just cock their head and go, huh, tell me about that. And what to me, the whole point of that is, is just that we need to move beyond a mentality and this social construct of extraction and destruction as a form of gaining wealth and as a form of making businesses even function. And so when I think about that question, Eva, relative to like, you know, how it's embedded, it's like, it's everything. It's every aspect of our business. So, you know, to try to communicate for that from the outside is probably best demonstrated through some of our partnerships. We're 1% for the Planet member since the day we started our business, giving 1% of revenues to um, partners and nonprofit, direct action, environmental protection and restoration. And we're also a certified B Corp. So that's a, a rigorous assessment to look at the environmental and social practices within a business. We're also a California benefit corporation. So from that, it's in a bylaws of our company to protect our own shareholders from being litigated against potentially, you know, choosing something for profit over purpose or over an environmental decision. We're allowed to sort of say this was a decision that made sense for many reasons to protect ourselves in our environment. We have just recently gone through the very rigorous exercise of measuring, reducing, and offsetting any carbon. So we're carbon neutral. And it goes on and on from there and there. You know, as a, as a, as a culture, we, we're a family. Our, our team is a family and, and we take care of ourselves and each other. Our vision as a company is that people are inspired to live in balance with nature. So from that in itself, it's that whole concept that if we have thoughtful consideration for what surrounds us, as well as our own actions, then we can lead a more balanced day and life and uh, make decisions that'll really be kind of, you know, an, an aggregated benefit for all. So it, it's a, it's a long answer, but it's kind of a, it's kind of who we are. Tell me how you think about packaging. I know with, with various products, you can kind of bulk them up by adding water or, you know, so they're kind of bigger. People feel like they're getting more for their money. How do you think about that in the context of all of your social focus? environmental focus? Yeah, it's a great question. I would say you nailed it, Ed, that packaging is probably our single greatest challenge as a consumer product goods company. The delivery system is something that we ponder and consider a lot. And, and I think that's actually what it comes down to relative to whether it's food or drink or something that you put on your body. What is that delivery system? How do you get the all of the goodness that is in that product to somebody and have them be able to use it and reuse it. And then for us, we have added layers of many of our products are regulated by the FDA. 
So we have laws that we have to follow relative to what materials and how products can be distributed and delivered. And so I would just say that we think through it all the time. We work very methodically on reducing plastic packaging. As far as what's in the product and how that works, it's true. Some products can be, you know, can can have additives or things that kind of fill it up and make it heavier or make it sort of diluted for almost the purpose of the packaging. It's almost like some companies sell the packaging and what's inside is secondary, but we work really hard to just have the ingredients of our products be the absolute best possible. We grow raw materials of some of the herbs here on our farm, and we use traditional infusion methods for to get the medicinal value out. And so then when we look at packaging, you know, it kind of comes down to just to get to brass tacks, it kind of comes down to like, are you going to go glass, metal, plastic? And then with plastic, there are so many different potentials, like where you're going to use, you know, virgin plastic or all the different kinds of plastic. And then what we've been working toward is finding greater contents of post-consumer recycled plastic, paper, you know, so it's like, that could be our entire conversation right now. But I'll just tell you right now that our, our dedication is just working towards improving it all the time, reducing our footprint, understanding the impact, doing life cycle analyses, and trying to create a circle of trust so that we have transparency and we can take the think out for our customers and they know they can trust that we're, you know, basically doing the best they can in purchasing from us to have clean conscience on there. And if you will, we also source our packaging domestically. That's something that most companies don't do whenever possible, if ever possible, all of our, even our PCR post-consumer recycled plastic tubes that our sunscreens are made from recycled yogurt containers in Kentucky in the Mid-South and then turned into tubes in Canada. So we're all in North America where most companies are actually, um, you know, kind of sourcing recycled plastic from Asia and other locations. That's fascinating. And you've mentioned, as you say, we could spend the whole episode talking about packaging and we've had a number of companies focused on packaging on the show. I really love how holistically integrated the impact is into all good. And you've mentioned the farm a few times. I want to maybe focus and spotlight there a little bit. There are a few other skincare brands that I know that also own or kind of are born off of a farm. What is the reason for that? And how does it help you as a business and potentially even achieve some of your double or triple bottom line goals? Well, for us, farming came before the business. My husband's been an organic farmer for 25 years. And so we've always lived, when, since we've been together, we've lived in a place where we could source our own food from where we live and then support community and grow soil in the same way. So as this business started to grow, it really was just, it really just made sense for us to source from what we were already doing and farming. And then, you know, as we've expanded and, and we've had to source from other farms, I think one of the ways that it benefits us is, is that we understand what it takes to actually grow something. And we're able to have that understanding, that relationship with other suppliers. It's also for us, it's, you know, it, it really does relate back to kind of like a, a full circle of things that to think that somebody having a jar of all good goop in their hands, knowing that using that product is actually building soil in San Luis Obispo County because that's how we do it. We, you know, we, we create a full circle of making sure that we're building soil and microbes and sinking carbon on our farm as we're supplying our products. I think that's probably one of the one of the greatest benefits. Additionally, it's not just our herbs and calendula that we grow here on the farm, but we have a CSA for our employees. So we grow food for them and um, give them a box of uh, our organic 
local vegetables once a month. And so that creates a nice continuum and it's a community aspect of it. Those are probably some of the, some of the most basic things, but you know, our company in a lot of ways is really rooted in farming and we were sort of born of the soil and born of a medicinal herb garden in the start started in the early days. So, you know, it keeps a continuum of our, of our brand and of our, of who we are as well. Bringing up soil health is something that one of our other guests also talked about, Marcy Zaroff, who runs a sustainable clothing and home goods business, but mostly rooted in organic cotton. And she walked us through why that even matters for the livelihoods of the farmers. So I'm really grateful that that's a part of supporting your business and being a conscious consumer and buying your brand. We've had a number of B corporations on the show. And so we've we've been able to dive into what that means. But you do have another a number of other certifications, including 1% for the planet, cruelty-free, and re-friendly. As an expert, what should not only consumers, but also investors make of these certifications? Can you give us an inside look into them? Yeah, I think just to take them off one by one, 1% for the planet really just shows a, um, a commitment and a communication that that brand has a budget for expanding their reach. I think every company probably treats it a little bit differently, but the way 1% for the planet works is that it's basically just requiring that their members take 1% off the top line. Back in the days where there was like a 10% of profits go to so-and-so, and we all know how profits can be measured in various ways, which kind of dilutes the whole communication of, of what's being given. This requires 1% off the top. And like I said, a bunch of companies will treat it very differently. So for us, really our, our 1% partners are just an amplification of who we are as a brand. So it allows us to create a community of, of what we consider to be kind of the front lines, uh, environmental regeneration and rejuvenation and education. So that's 1% for the planet. I think, you know, investors should really consider it to be a smart move because it's, that means that, that, that those partnerships are built into the budget of the company versus kind of taking the time and wavering on that year to year. So that's kind of, it's kind of a clear path. So that's, that's one there. And then the cruelty-free or, or leaping bunny is simply that we're committed that neither any of our finished goods nor are any of our raw materials are tested on animals that obviously supports any, anyone um, concerned with the, with the well-being of innocent animals. And so we're committed to that. And then uh, ReFriendly is is not a certification per se, but our claim of ReFriendly is rooted in science. So from that perspective, I, I would tell investors that that's the future of the sunscreen industry. It's where it's going. It's where it needs to be. It should have already been there. And it basically, I would also say that peel back the layers, don't take it for face value because anybody can claim that, but our description of it and our use of it is, is rooted in a number of different studies, data, toxicologists that we've really learned from to understand what are the most dangerous chemicals that are impacting coral reefs and then inherently the human body as well. So avoiding those chemicals. Now, when I go to places like Bonaire or you know, a, lot of, a lot of scuba diving destinations or snorkeling destinations, they would require that type of sunscreen. sunscreen yeah. yeah. And I'm just curious, like um, they usually say, use, don't use a sunscreen that has this or use a sunscreen that has that in it. Is there something deeper that we need to know? Or is it pretty straightforward if I'm in a place like that, that what they're recommending is the right stuff? Or is there something, maybe we could put it in the show notes or something, but is it, you know, is it really, is it really that 
far off? It's really basic. And whether you're in Bonaire or in Dallas, Texas, this the same should be true in terms of what you look for on a sunscreen. And if you turn over to the back, you see the top of it. All sunscreens, if they claim an SPF, are regulated by the FDA to have an active ingredient. And if you turn it over, the active ingredient should say non-nano zinc oxide or titanium dioxide. And if you see anything else in there, you know, likely that would be difficult to pronounce, octocrylene, avabenzone, octanoxate, oxybenzone, homosalate, avoid them completely. Because it all washes into the ocean. Is that what, is that what you're... It all absorbs into your bloodstream and into the ocean as well. So it causes bleaching, viral spread, DNA mutation, endocrine disruption, and death of coral. And then uh, similarly has impacts on the human system as well. There are a ton of studies on... <laughs> Uh, on um, infertility in males, which is such an interesting and something, you know, bizarre thing, but I would say to be avoided. Good to know. Absolutely. You have also focused a lot on your company culture, and I do want to point out that you have a female-led team. What does it look like within your company? What is the the tone? And I think we've, you know, learned a little bit about you, and I, I could probably guess that it is an incredible culture, but want to hear, like, what you've done to create a culture around your brand and also, you know, why having a female-led team is important to you. You know, as a woman, it kind of just ended up that way. And as we started growing, you know, I think there was a point where I think we had, I think like five or six years ago, there were 10 of us, there were two men and out of the eight women, I think four were pregnant. (laughs) So, you know, I just throw that down as kind of a comedy show that we just roll with what we have. And and the intention is to, is to create an environment that's mutually supportive of everybody. So it's not like we discriminate against men. Of course, now we have a, we have more male in the leadership team as well and more men and, and throughout the company, I think we're still about 75% women, but I think You know, I have to pull from uh, a quote of somebody who shared uh, a story about uh, surfing in a lineup. This was a business leader I saw her speak. And she said, surfing in a lineup, when you you go out and it's all men, you got to be careful because they're going to sort of like, you know, kind of fight for the wave. And then her experience of watching women was, was just, and being out there with all women was just kind of taking turns on the waves and making sure everybody got a chance. And of course, that's a complete generalization. That's not across the board, but I would say that that does filter through in our in our company culture. It's just really making space for, for sharing and supporting one another and, and nurturing one another. I mean, by the nature of our products being nurturing, it's it's also important for us to have that with, with each other as well. And we also recognize, you know, coming from an expedition background, I recognize that if one person, you know, has blisters, they're not going to be able to make the hike. So our team, it's been really important to make sure that we take care of each other and take care of ourselves so that we can all move forward progressively and with wellness. Incredible. Well, I'd love to turn to you, Caroline. I would love to ask you our rapid fire round of questions. So just diving in, what book is on your nightstand right now? There's a short stack, but the one on top is called Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. What is your go-to beverage in the morning? Coffee, tea, or caffeine-free? I like water. (laughs) Non-caffeinated water. (laughs) Mostly. (laughs) I don't think we've ever had that response before. (laughs) Water? Well, we've had had warm water with lemon. Lemon, yes. (laughs) Name something, Caroline, that's giving you hope right now. My five and 10-year-old daughters. That's fun. Incredible. What is one trend you're watching right now in your industry? Transparency. I hope it's not a trend. (laughs) 
Yes. Hope it stays alive and gain, gains momentum. Do you have a favorite resource for staying up to date on current events in your industry? It could be a podcast or a website or a newsletter. Publications on organic farming, publications on clean beauty and CEO networks. One step closer, OSC squared, uh, one step closer. It'd be a couple of, a few of those. So when you're coming back from a stressful day at the all good office, if there is such a thing as a stressful day, or is it always just all good? <laughs> what do you do to unwind? What all do you good do? all the time. Yeah, it's all good. You don't have to relax. Or if you do need to relax, what is your favorite way to unwind? I'll take my pick, a, a long, hard grinding mountain bike ride or a Negroni in the hot tub. I'll go for the hot tub personally because I'm lazy. <laughs> what is one piece of advice you would give to your 20-year-old self? Not a whole lot. I think I would tell my 20-year-old self to remember to tell my 46-year-old self to keep taking risks and have fun. I like that. Turning the question around. I think that's great. So um, as we move back into the questions about all good, I wanted to just talk a little bit more about one of the other tenants of the business, which is being a carbon neutral company. Now, this has been in the news a lot. There have been a number of very, very large tech companies and well-known consumer businesses that have announced that they will offset their carbon by specific years, whether 2030 or 2050. Can you break down what this really means for our listeners for all good and what measures you are taking to become carbon neutral? You bet. So inherently, if you have a company that trades and ships and produces, there's going to be you know, carbon emissions, basically, that are sort of side effect, if you will, of, of those products being produced and shipped. That is kind of the, the first sort of piece of it to understand, because if we're trying to be 100% net positive or sinking carbon, then we kind of just have to stop doing what we're doing. So in recognizing this, we decided as a company that we wanted to take full responsibility for our emissions and figure out what we could do to mitigate it. The first thing that we did is that we had to measure all of our outputs. And that is something that's like, it really should be underscored because it sounds like, oh, great, measure your carbon footprint, no big deal. Well, honestly, for us, and we're a fairly small company, it took us you know, months, almost a year to figure out how to even go about measuring all the way down to like the dimensions and the weight and the distance traveled of every single pallet or every single object on the shipping side. That doesn't even include some of the sourcing side. So scope one, two, and three are the different categories of emissions. Scope one is anything that happens in the inside walls of an office. Scope two is basically electricity. I mean, it's kind of like what it breaks down to because it's anything that comes in and out of that same sort of facility, the headquarters. And then scope three is everything else. So scope three is where many of the, at least for a consumer products company, scope three is where a lot of the emissions happen. You know, a company can do a great deal to reduce, you know, to recycle and turn off the lights and do things inside their office. But then you have a lot less control once, once you're looking at where your products are sourced and where they're going. So for us, the measurement of scope one was pretty easy. We have an 8,000 square foot facility in downtown Morro Bay, and we were able to really identify all of the sort of our practices within the building. Scope two was also really easy. We're super fortunate to have been able to opt in to a renewable power source. Here locally, it's called Central Coast Community 
Energy, 3CE, and we opted into their renewable only options. So we're basically sourcing wind and solar for our facility. And then on our farm, we switched everything over to a photovoltaic system. So we're basically all on renewable energy. So our scope two is like almost zero. I think it is zero. And then our scope three, that was a major part to measure. So once we figured out the total amount of metric tons that, you know, we were basically is like the measurement of our footprint, then what we had to do is figure out what we're going to do about that. And there are many different sort of, once again, packaging and carbon offsets. Let's have that as a whole two other podcasts. But, you know, basically if there is a residual amount of carbon emitted, then there's a need to sink that carbon, sequester that carbon in another location to sort of come to the neutrality place. That's, you know, it's sort of where we are in this marginally acceptable place of uh, figuring this all out. So we did that. We partnered with uh, Climate Neutral. So they have the tools and they also create a certification so that they're creating accountability around the measurement, the reduction and the, the uh, offsetting of the carbon. And so for us in 2020, we partnered with two different, we, we, we recognized that it was going to be impossible to be completely carbon neutral without offsetting. So we partnered with two domestic organizations that are doing amazing work. One is called Southern Plains Land Trust in southeastern Colorado, and they're actually restoring native grasslands and sinking the carbon in the roots of the grasslands. We're able to partner with them. And then we worked with a reforestation project called the McLeod Forestry Project up in Northern California as well and split it so that all of the shipment of our products, we replanted trees in Northern California and all of the rest of Scope 3, we sequestered carbon in Eastern Colorado. So that that's basically how it works is measure, reduce, and then offset what's left. And then every year we go through that same process. So we remeasure, we look at what we possibly can reduce internally and then offset the rest. So our plan for 2021 is to sink as much carbon as possible in our own farm. We actually just did a, um, a partnership with a local resource conservation district to do a carbon farm plan at our location so that we can optimize the amount of carbon sequestered per acre here on our farm. And we plan to do that and potentially be able to sequester more carbon than we need to offset. So be able to, you know, basically have like a bank of how, carbon as we're going forward. How do you do it? At your, are you like digging a hole and getting a machine that does that? Or is it just plant, planting different high carbon? No, it's, yeah, it's, it's more done by data and measurement metric of, you know, diversity of microbes in the soil and practices of mulching and plants and chosen species of plants, trees. They work some off of actually measurement. Cal Poly actually has a carbon measuring device that is is possible, but it's more often done by understanding the data. Of if you were to plant, you know, if you were to just like monocrop and till and monocrop and till, that's basically releasing carbon. But if you use practices of cover cropping and low-till or no-till, mulching, interplanting, creating agroforestry, and then planting native tree species around perimeters where you'll really sink the carbon is, is kind of, it's those practices that they're able to measure how much over what period of time you're sequestering carbon. Ah. Thank you so much for highlighting yeah. that, particularly scope one through scope three. I've heard about mm -hmm. that recently in how IKEA actually thinks about and it's obviously international standard, but you know, in, in how deeply IKEA also thinks about their carbon neutral goals on a fascinating podcast. But I think that that's really great for our listeners to understand these different levels and how companies are more deeply thinking about what carbon neutral 
actually means? Well, I think, yeah, just even from an investor's perspective, I think it'll become more of a standard in businesses. And I think it's something that is almost an insurance policy for companies. If you think of it from that perspective, because if you go back to extraction over a period of time, there's, you know, at some point, if you like, like the Lorax, right, there's not going to be anything left. But if companies embed this and start to work toward this, it's a bright future. And I think it's also a bright future from a financial perspective as well. Absolutely. So talking about the future, just to wrap up, would love to know what's next for All Good. I know you've been around for 15 years. You've done a lot of the hard work, but where do you hope to be in the next 10? We're beginning to bridge the create the bridge to clean beauty. So as I mentioned, the SPF 15 uh, lip and cheek tints is something that that is a great expansion of our brand into um, into helping people who seek wellness, but also want to have a little fun and incorporate beauty into their routine and not have to feel like they do it with toxic chemicals, basically. So that's one of the things. And then continuing to expand, but also deepen our product line and deepen our relationships, looking at a few different regenerative and organic agriculture projects that we can use to drive innovation so that we can be continuing on that path of building soil through our products and making sure that we're adding value for our consumers as well and creating products that are just uh, really enjoyable and comforting and protecting from the sun and from germs and also uh, safe and and knowing that they've uh, come from a safe source is is really just our, our continued ethos. So we're basically, I would say, you know, more of the same, but with an exciting runway toward educating people about uh, the importance of the, you know, the, the cleanliness of their ingredients. And that's it's been in us, but I think people are ready to hear it more now. Yeah, it's a great story. Congratulations on what you've built. Thank you. Thank you both for what you're doing as well. I couldn't agree more. Thank you, Caroline. It's been incredible to talk to you today. Thanks. I appreciate the conversation. All the best. Yeah, you guys too. Once again, it's clear that a business leader with good intentions can create an impressive social, environmental, and ethical impact. There is always a way to put meaning behind the mission of a company, and we can all make a difference. You've taken the first step by listening to the Beyond Capital podcast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to rate, review, and if you haven't yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, go to beyondcapitalpodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter at EA Stevens. And follow me on Instagram at Conscious Investor. Until next time. Bye, everyone.